My primary exposure to Spider-Man over the years had been through the 90s TV show, the movies, and there were comic books in there too. But uh, the comic books, by the time I was reading them, were already, what, 50 years in, if not a little bit more? And, yeah, I guess 50 years in, because I was reading the 90s. Uh, and he started in 62. The thing is that when they started Spider-Man, they didn't exactly know what they were going to do. They had the broad strokes uh, going, but uh, <laughs> this issue, uh, Spider-Man issue number one, uh, which actually features a bonus story, but and it says it's two tales, but for some reason it has part one, part two, and part three in it. I don't know why. Is that because... Amazing Fantasy was an anthology that had three or four stories in it, and they were kind of doing the same thing. I don't know, because if, if you look at Amazing Fantasy 15, uh, there are stories beyond uh, just the Spider-Man, uh, what do you call it? Debut, uh, introduction, origin, I guess. And uh, that's really perplexing. So going into this issue, I was really excited for it, and after I finished it, I enjoyed it, but there were some really weird things in it that stuck out to me. And uh, that's what I'm going to talk about. So this is MJ. I love uh, Spider-Man comic books in general, but Spider-Man specifically. And right now I want to talk about issue one of The Amazing Spider-Man. So here are the credits. The script was done by Stan Lee. The art was done by Steve Ditko. And the letterer was Johnny D. Cover is pretty cool. It shows the Fantastic Four. It shows Spider-Man... Uh, <laughs> uh, trapped in this thing, which we get to see in the comic. Um, I gotta say, though, I'm not 100%, so I, I like the dynamism and the composition of it overall. It's pretty exciting. Um, but I think they did a bad job, maybe, a little bit, of showing exactly what was going on, because it looks like he's supposed to be trapped in this contraption, uh, and he gets trapped in it in the comic, but in... On the cover, he's actually, well, he almost appears to be on the outside of it. I guess you have to look kind of close, but if you're, you know, if it's 1962 and you're holding this in your hand right up to your face, you'd see it no problem. But, uh, I mean, overall, I like it. It's funny that um, the Fantastic Four features in this because uh, the Fantastic Four was, uh, you know, the big team or the big book at the time. And uh, I imagine they were uh, including them here to goose the sails. Uh, you could say it was world building because, well, you know, Spider-Man exists in a world with the Fantastic Four, so why wouldn't he uh, seek them out or whatever? And uh, I think that's a valid point, but I also think uh, it's like, hey, we've got this Fantastic Four. They're popular. Let's use them to help sell this new magazine hero. One of the most interesting things to me is that the issue starts with a recap. So it gives a, a broad introduction and then it basically recaps, it retells uh, the story from Amazing Fantasy 15. It does it in a pretty interesting way. It actually almost reminds me of uh, how for Spider-Man 2 they had Alex Ross do those paintings that summarized the movie and then I think they carried it through in Spider-Man 3 as well. Um, but that's pretty neat stuff. Uh, but I like that right away we see Peter struggling we see him being so upset about spider-man uh the dialogue like it's pretty clunky uh in some areas like i feel like the uh i don't know the grammar addiction or whatever is way off and it just sounds bad like unnatural an unnatural way for those things to be said and you know i know uh you know stanley i'm sure was 
he's restricting himself from having, uh, you know, Peter Parker swear or anything like that. But, and I'm not saying I wanted him to, but it just seems like maybe, was he trying to illustrate the frustration? I don't know. Apparently, Stan Lee's method was that he would have the artists do the art. He'd, you know, give them a broad, uh, broad overview of what was going to happen in the comic. They would do the art. And then I don't know if he, if who drew the bubbles in, but then he would do the dialogue after the fact. Uh, so could be a result of that. Were there word bubbles there already that were restricting what he had the ability to say? So he just said it the best way he could, which sometimes wasn't so great. I'm not sure. What I am sure of, though, is that I enjoy the fact that there are multiple levels to the unintended consequences of Peter's selfishness. Uh... He wanted to let the world hang, and so, you know, he refused to stop that thief who ended up uh, murdering, killing Uncle Ben. Uncle Ben uh, was still working, still earning money for the family, and when he died, the money stopped. And so they had, uh, you know, grief to deal with, and then poverty on top of that, because they didn't have any money. So uh, Peter actually contemplates, and you know, I don't know how to, uh, well, anyway, that's a stupid distraction I was going to bring up, but, uh, it's interesting, you know, Peter had been doing the appearances as Spider-Man in order to make money, and I think, gosh, did he get cash? Maybe he got cash in, in Amazing Fantasy 15, but for sure, uh, here he ends up not getting cash, uh, but that's kind of something to deal with later, uh, but he considers briefly a life of crime, and... Uh, Spider-Man definitely did not start out as a hero, and I like that. Uh, it adds a little complexity to, uh, to Peter, and I think it's good because, I mean, we'll have to see how it develops over the rest of these comics, because I'm planning on reading, like, the first 12 or so issues, kind of incorporate, uh, what, uh, Amazing Fantasy 15 was, uh, August of 62, so maybe I'll read, you know, 12 or so issues until I get to... August of uh, 63 and get those first uh, ones under my belt and kind of see you know who is Peter Parker and how do they change his character and what's Spider-Man all about uh, in the beginning because that's what it would have been it would have been uh, you know they would have been developing him as they were making him so to speak so I want to see what uh, what they thought this guy was going to be like ultimately he's heroic but how much does he struggle to overcome uh I don't know, the urge to do evil, the, the urge to be selfish, again, to do wrong, um, and, you know, become a hero. I don't know, it's pretty interesting. Uh, what's, uh, what's more neat is that he, besides deciding that he could uh, end up getting caught, it would be wrong to do, first of all, and then if he were caught, it would, you know, kill Aunt May, basically, you know, give her a heart attack, it would give her such grief that he decides not to do it, but beyond that... Um, he uh, decides to use his power, I guess keep his suit with him all the time. Anyway, uh, he uh, can't perform as Spider-Man anymore because J. Jonah Jameson of the Daily Bugle, the editor over there, uh, has written an editorial against him saying that, um, you know, he's a menace and that if, you know, kids want to imitate him, that'd be terrible and uh, that if we want someone to influence our youth, it should be people like, uh, you know, John Jameson, the astronaut, or the test pilot, you know, which is J.J.'s son, and, uh, or Triple J's son, I should say, 
anyway um it's funny uh peter can't make the money of spider-man he can't because he has no idea or anything like that he can't uh deposit his check as spider-man um and have it cashed and for whatever reason his manager could only give him a check not cash uh so you know he's frustrated and it's really funny stanley says something like oh nothing better to do he just goes and joins these people watching this test flight and i thought about how funny that is um and i'm not sure that the story could be written exactly the same way today because you know if you want to there's always something else you could be doing uh you know he could have been playing uh you know video games or something um although i suppose if they're poor maybe he wouldn't have wanted to waste uh I don't know, internet or electricity or whatever, but uh, it's just kind of funny. Uh, when you were poor back in the day, you had no job, you couldn't do anything, you'd just wander around outside and join people uh, witnessing things. Um, so that was fun. But anyway, uh, John Jameson is uh, in this test space shuttle thing, and it ends up going haywire, and it's really cool. Peter sees that you know Jameson could lose his life, so, despite the fact that he was so wronged by uh, the Daily Bugle, he goes ahead and gets his Spider-Man suit on, which apparently he was still wearing under his clothes just in case something were to happen, and uh, he rescues him. And I think the thing that's most impressive to me is, well, the story's a little bit, or like the dialogue's kludgy, and the story's a little, like it could be tighter. Uh, the great thing, uh, that they nailed right away. And, uh, again, some details are weird as, as to how, uh, you know, Peter does what he does. Uh, the action is still really great. Um, I'm going to say it's high flying. I'm not trying to make a pun. Uh, but like the action is really dynamic. Um, it's the first issue in besides Amazing Fantasy 15. And in Amazing Fantasy 15, his web swinging was a little bit weird. It didn't look that great. But um, it looks really good here, uh, or it looks better here, and they do more things with it, and it feels like they're just kind of feeling out exactly what he can do with his spider webs and how he can uh, swing through the city and, and get places. Um, there's a line about how he's having a hard time fighting against the wind resistance with, uh, even with his you know super strength, the spider strength, um, but that doesn't seem you know, to be something that persists, uh, later on, maybe he gets stronger, just more confident or whatever, or maybe it's just something they wanted to drop over time, or maybe it was a, a plot point that was, you know, kind of useless to, uh, to utilize anymore, um, and it definitely adds tension and drama if he's struggling with it in the beginning, but, uh, the way Ditko draws him, uh, is really great, a lot of the, uh, the angles used in, uh, the panels are really, I guess you could say cinematic. I don't know if that's quite the right word, but, uh, they do just such an excellent job of conveying the action, the motion, the danger. Um, you know, they're still panels, but they get the job done and, uh, they do it very effectively. So that's all really great stuff. Uh, this is kind of a compliment on the art and, uh, the writing. There's, uh, after he saves Jameson, the Daily Bugle has a uh, op-ed by Jonah that's saying, you know, Spider-Man is a menace and we should, you know, run him out of town, basically. Um, the way uh, Peter is drawn, 
uh, at the table, you know, he's sitting down at the breakfast table reading the newspaper. Um, he just looks so distraught, the way he's hunched over, uh, the way his face looks. Um, he looks like he just got beat down <laughs> and that he's, you know, shocked, flummoxed, uh, you know, flabbergasted, whatever you want to say. He looks like, uh, like it's been taken out of him and he cannot believe uh, what's happening despite the fact that he saved Jameson. And I kind of wonder, this is where the story stuff comes in, I kind of wonder if he was saving Jameson in part, in part to kind of save Spider-Man's reputation uh, because he thought, surely everything will be fine. I can be Spider-Man and be successful. People won't be afraid. People won't be outraged. You know, I saved this guy's son, you know, this guy who is maligning me. Maybe he'll do me a favor now and everything will be fine. And uh, I like that his motivations are muddied. And of course, it's not, it's subtext that his motivations may have been wrong. He might not have just been saving Jameson to save him because he had the power. Therefore, he had the responsibility to, uh, you know, to use it well or to use it, you know, to help people. Um, and that's kind of fun. And I think as much as I criticized uh, Stan Lee for the dialogue being a little poorly put together because hokey I mean it was the 60s and it was a comic book and these are you know books meant for kids but I feel like he did a really good job in including that subtext uh adding ambiguity adding in a bit of an edge to uh to Peter and to Spider-Man and I think I don't know if that would make the reader more invested but it sure made him feel more human to me and I liked that and I don't know it's kind of comforting knowing that uh you know he could be such a jerk but uh, at the same time do such great noble good things. Uh, maybe it makes me feel better about me being such a jerk sometimes. All right, it's time for me to move on to the se second story in here about the chameleon coming along. Uh, this really felt like the same, oh anyway, uh, first the, the credits. So script, Stanley, art, Steve Ditko, lettering, John Duffy, different guy. Uh, is John Duffy and Joe Duffy, are they related? wonder. Anyway, I'll uh, find that out later, I'm sure. Uh, but yeah, this uh, issue, or mini-issue, is this what you call a backup issue? I don't know. I hear your boy Zach talking about backup issues uh, sometimes, and I don't really know what that is. I mean, it sounds like it's kind of at the back of a, of a comic, you know, a short little story. Um, but I don't really know. I'm, I, I'm not down with all the lingo. I'm, you know, still a little bit of a noob to all this, or, uh, you know, I'm really thinking about comics as I'm reading them now as opposed to just, you know, taking them in and that's it. Um, so the, uh, I guess I never thought about it as an industry before, just as an art or as a, a medium for me to get my stories. Uh, so I, you know, who cares if those technical terms, it doesn't matter. It just, it is what it is anyway. Uh, so the inclusion of the fantastic four, and this is pretty cool. Um, there were some funny things like I didn't expect like Ben Grimm was drawn kind of small uh, in some panels. Uh, he looked like he was just a, an, <laughs> an orange man, a good orange man. Um, and uh, I thought that was a bold choice of, of Marvel to make. No, um, he just looked kind of orange and roundish, uh, you know, a, a much thicker body style than anybody else. But uh, anyway, I think that was probably my biggest... Uh, complaint 
about the art, but I, I think uh, I think Kirby is actually the main artist for Fantastic Four, so I can kind of understand Ditko getting them wrong. And this is, uh, I think, uh, if I've got my Marvel history correct, Fantastic Four had only been out for a little while before Spider-Man came out, so uh, it's not too big of a deal, and I'm not going to gripe about it, and honestly, you know, I'm zoomed in looking at it on my phone, each individual panel, not looking at the page as a whole, so I think that definitely changes your perception of the quality of the art, so I'm not going to gripe about that, although <laughs> Sue Storm's hair is funny, I, I'm used to seeing, um, yeah, I probably saw, besides Jessica Alba, my biggest exposure to Sue Storm was probably her, uh, how she was drawn in the Fantastic Four cartoon from, I don't know, it, I think it was pr produced at the same time as the Iron Man cartoon, uh, both of which I watched a ton, as a, or as much as I could as a kid, um, and those predated the Spider-Man cartoon, which was like in 94 by a couple of years, so anyway, but back to the comic, um, I like the idea that Peter has to join the Fantastic Four because, like, hey, they must, you know, get their bills paid. Um, and it turns out they're just altruistic, basically. And they uh, only cover their expenses and the rest goes into research for, uh, you know, like, bettering mankind or whatever. So, uh, that was pretty funny. Um, but it kind of made me, it did make me interested to read uh, the Fantastic Four books. I've only read the first one. Uh, yeah, I've only read the first one. That was months ago. Um, but it, you know, makes me wonder about their exploits as adventurers and whatnot. And, uh, like, do they find treasure and things like that? Or what do they do? How are they making money? Because I, I get that, uh, Reed would be interested in, uh, being altruistic and being responsible, especially since they, weren't they on, like, a government ship when, uh, they got hit by those, uh, what is it, solar rays? Is that their origin? <laughs> or cosmic rays, that's what it was. Um, anyway, I don't quite remember, but it does pique my interest in Fantastic Four, and, uh, like, based on the cover of the book, uh, you know, as it is, I could totally see somebody who is reading Fantastic Four saying, hey, Fantastic Four are gonna be in this, you know, Spider Guy issue? I'll, uh, I'll definitely check this out. Um, and I think it was worthwhile. It, um, I enjoyed the introduction of the chameleon, although it's funny that at first... <laughs> At first, his power mostly comes down to planning and to having a multi-pocketed vest that has different masks in it that he can put on. Uh, the funniest thing about that is that the... I guess the vest has pockets that he holds wigs in and face masks in that are realistically, you know, human-looking, or lifelike, I should say. Um, but then, like, what does he do about the rest of the clothes? Does he just steal things? Does he make them? How much time does the guy need? Uh, does he just have, like, coveralls so you can get in and out of most places? I don't know. But I did enjoy the shtick of him, you know, stealing people's identities on the concept that if you could look like someone, you could infiltrate almost anywhere. That's a really great idea. Uh, he's Russian. He's a communist. So I don't know if he's supposed to be, like, a Soviet spy specifically because he is stealing military information, I think. Um... And, I mean, I guess that would make sense. I don't know the whole history of the Cold War, uh, so I couldn't really tell. But I would assume that, you know, they're pulling from pop culture and the, the, 
the zeitgeist, or I don't know if zeitgeist is the right word to say, like the cultural milieu of the world they were living in at the time. And like, hey, you know, we're afraid of Russians infiltrating and spies doing bad things, so let's make one of our villains at Spider-Man fights, a, you know, a chameleon. <laughs> no, a Russian, uh, a Soviet, a commie. And uh, it's funny, they even call him a commie in the issue. Um, but, uh, yeah. I'm not sure what else to say about that. Uh, like his, I like how his creepy face has got like slits where his eyes and mouth would be, and then he's got like those weird goggles. Um, uh, I knew, well, again, from the cartoon, the command has a belt that allows him to change form, and that seems way more practical that it would be some sort of super technology or whatever. But I like the idea of like the spy craft of uh, him having this little lair where he, you know, makes all his masks and he does research and, you know, sews Spider-Man suits so he can impersonate him. And then the guy invented a friggin' web-shooting gun. That's that's pretty cool. Um, and I liked his plan overall. Uh, that'd be cool to see the web-shooting gun come back uh, at some point. But, you know, I doubt it will, but who knows. Um, I, you know, I think, doesn't Mysterio end up duplicating Spider-Man's webbing too? Uh, at some point, so it's interesting that uh, they had it so that his webbing wasn't something like super unique and that other people could uh, replicate it to some extent. Uh, it's kind of a fun idea. Um, I don't know. I don't know what that does for the story overall, but it's it's neat. Um, but I like that uh, Chameleon's spider uh, web comes out of a gun. That's kind of fun. Uh, one weird thing I want to highlight, though, real quick. As I close out, because, you know, basically it was a really good issue, um, interesting, I think this, the formatting, like, the way they're kind of still figuring things out with the part one, part two, part three, like, that doesn't make sense, I'm kind of perplexed by that, but even worse than that was, in a couple panels, I think two or three, they call Peter Parker in the narration Peter Palmer, and I'm thinking, was that Stan Lee who wrote that wrong? Uh, we've got this, uh, John Duffy, as opposed to Johnny D, doing the lettering so like did was lee's writing real sloppy i'm sure he wasn't standing over uh the letterer telling him the narration or or you know telling him the dialogue he probably wrote it down so was that written with pen was it and it got smudged or was it pencil and got smudged or um did he like tell him over the phone or like how did it happen that in your first issue um your first official issue launching this character that in the second part this extra story you're calling him peter palmer and in like two or three places and it was really funny and it made me uh like i wanted to crack a bunch of jokes about it but like you know i'm not that funny um so i'm not gonna try on the fly here um but like man peter palmer peter freaking palmer like i cannot believe that made it through like who was the editor at the time uh i don't think they say on the credits it's just script art and lettering so but like man what the heck? That's crazy. Uh, but I don't know, man. It was, I don't know what it was like at that time in 62. I don't know what kind of world we were living in. Maybe everybody was high over there at Marvel and didn't, uh, you know, do a good enough QC or maybe they didn't care because it was disposable media and they didn't expect that some guy decades later would, uh, you know, be emotionally damaged enough that he would latch onto Spider-Man as a surrogate father figure and would, oh, uh, probably going a little too far. Anyway, uh, I'm going to go ahead and get out of here. I feel a little dumb saying this, but I definitely recommend you go back and check these out, especially if you have the Marvel Unlimited app. Uh, there are so many old comics you can check out and just see what it was like at the time, and that's kind of what I want to do. Um, see what it was like at the time, why Spider-Man's a hero, why he connects, and uh, how it was that he was successful.
Thank you for sticking with me. Check out mjmunoz.com for more of my work. I talk about tokusatsu and write original fiction you can find there. Uh, I'm also participating in Tokutember, making tokusatsu-inspired art for the month of September. I'm an aspiring author who will gladly accept your financial support through coffee. Swinging Through Comics can be found on YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and mjmunoz.com stc. Relevant links are in the show notes. Uh, also, I wrote a short story called The Hammer Falls, which is featured there. Uh, it's in, uh, I read it to you, so there's like an audio format of it, and then you can just read it yourself if you want, and you can find that on my blog. If you had a good time, like and share this. Subscribe and ring that bell to catch me the next time I'm swinging through comics.